With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yakuza. Yakuza. Yakuza Kick Radio. 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 This is the bulldozer, Matt Tremont. And if there's one place to listen to on the internet, every Thursday, 9 p.m., Yakuza Kick Radio, Tremont says so. Who wants some? God help us, Jesus! God and baby, Jesus! Help us. Ladies and gentlemen of fucking America, this is Danny Havoc, and you have been listening to, or possibly are intending to listen to, the Yakuza Kick fucking radio. Fucking, yeah, Yakuza Kick radio. Hell fucking yeah! My name is Justice Payne, and you are listening to Yakuza Kick radio. You're coming to come on Thursday night, this is a brotherhood, and we all stick together. Like my nuts. I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. Yakuza Kick Radio, the best in internet wrestling radio, period, bar none, just like Adam Cole. Everybody's a cunt but me in the world. I don't know what it is. But you go to the back, and you tell your boss that there's a new Yakuza in town. And it's Yakuza Kick Radio, and we're taking over. Yakuza Kick Radio has risen from the ashes of bad internet radio and become the premier place for any independent professional wrestler to stop and record their voice. Well, this is Mr. Insanity Toby Fine, and if you're not listening to Yakuza Kick Radio, then you're weird. Oh, I don't like the cut of your jib, fella. This is Greg Excellent, Bearded Dragon of the Northeast. You're listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. If you're not, probably watching porn. You have this muted. You should be listening to it. Jason Man. Where are Biggie and Tupac? Yakuza Kick Radio. Give a nigga rope on that cowboy, guys. All you have to do is listen to Yakuza Kick Radio, but you got me. Now look at that guy. You only fuck that. Black dude. This bullshit, man. Motherfucker. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. Who's next? And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the introduction. Hosted by J. Cat Morris. You are now listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. Welcome to Yakuza Kick Radio. I'm your host, Jake Morris. It's uh, Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday, uh, September 26, 2018. I always got to stare at the computer to even know what day it is uh, when I'm doing this show. So anyway, tonight I got a special guest on the line. None other than E.C. Negro. Yo, what's going on, bro? How are you, man? Hey, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, so yeah, man, I, you know, I've talked to you on and off for quite some time, and... Um, you know, you, you just turned the corner, decided uh, you wanted to hang up the boots. Um, had quite a long career. So I definitely want to have you on and talk about some things. Yeah, definitely, man. And I, first things first, I want to apologize to you on air as well as I did off air, you know, kind of for 
Nah, I saw, but, you know, I just, you know, I want you to understand that I appreciate what you've done for the business, and I appreciate what you've done for the boys. So uh, thank you very much for everything, um, and I'm just glad that I'm able to do this today. Yeah, it's all good, man. We'll talk about the, um, you know, your dedication to your hero, hero persona and all of that stuff in a bit, you know, because that's, that's a major part of, you know, what you were doing out there. But uh, Yeah, yeah most we'll definitely, go, man. We'll go into it. No worries. You there? Yeah, I'm here, brother. I'm here, man. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, um, so so how long do you want to talk about Pat Ewing's uh, championship? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's crazy is that I'm so excited for what the Knicks are actually doing this year. Um, not that I want to get heavy into that, but the uh, the culture change is very apparent in New York with the, with the new management that they have. And uh, the higher at David Fisdale, I think it's going to be um, – I think the Knicks are actually on the come up. You know, it, you know, just like with any sports team, you're going to hype up your team as much as humanly possible, yeah. even when you know that they're dog shit. But the Knicks are actually uh, on the way of changing things. So I'm just happy to, you know, hopefully see a championship in my lifetime. Yeah. I mean, you Knicks fans think that every year, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, we got mellow. Fans, we got mellow. <laughs> I mean, come on, the mellow thing was a big deal. I mean, um, you know, unfortunately, we traded all our assets away to get him. I wasn't a mm. proponent of that. I kind of wanted them to just wait until the end of the season to sign him, but that was during the uh, the lockout, and they wanted to make sure that they got him. But it was a, it was a big blow, and, a, and now in hindsight, a big mistake on their part. Yeah. Oh. Um, so, yeah, man, um, where did, what got you into wrestling initially, you know, as a kid? Oh, man, being a kid and having uh, two older brothers uh, that used to go to Madison Square Garden in the in the early 80s with my dad, and it was always on television for me, um, WWF or WWWF in the late 70s and early 80s were the tapes, uh, the VHS tapes that consistently played in my house uh, mm-hmm. growing up, and I just fell in love with it uh, right away. Um, from what I remember, wrestling was always on in my house. Yeah. What was your first memories of, like, your favorites, and what, what did you really cling on to or gravitate towards as far as, you know, being a fan? Uh, Roddy Piper and the way that he uh, presented himself as this big-time, larger-than-life bad guy that people loved to hate, but you had to watch um, mm-hmm. everything that he was doing. And it, it's kind of what I emulated my career with, uh, you know, I hope I did it well to a certain extent, but um, mm-hmm. Piper was the Piper was the man. And, and he was the one that elevated all these lower tier guys. And I didn't realize that, you know, uh, when I was younger, but as I got into the business and I started understanding what he was doing, you know, his interview segment every week was elevating another guy, whether it was a main eventer or, or just, you know, a, your typical job or so. It was it was dope. It was a dope concept. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what age did you decide that you actually wanted to be a wrestler? And, you know, how did you, you know, go about that? I knew right away, bro. Like, I knew that that was something that I always wanted to do. I remember, like, being five and six years old on my way home from school and, like, slapping fences and slapping leaves like they were wrestling fans. It was just so, something that was always in my mind. And, you know, I, I was able to say that I that I lived out my dream to some extent. Yeah. Um, 
when when did you you know make that dream a reality and actually you know figure out where to train and and how to go about that whole thing that was like in 99 early 2000 at the time AOL was pretty prevalent I think America Online like 4.0 or 5.0 was out at the time and mm-hmm. uh, I was searching the internet to find uh, a wrestling school and there ended up being this backyard company called uh, TCW that was run by a, by a wrestler whose name is uh, Darren Quick or he was known as Devious. He had a a backyard wrestling company and he was renting out space from the doghouse every Saturday uh, to mm-hmm. throw like these backyard shows there. And that's how I found the doghouse and the, the rest was history. Yeah. So, you know, when you went into train, um, obviously, you know, you're playing around, you know, chopping things and, and all of that, but um, was it what you expected as far as training? Cause you know, doghouse is some pretty thorough training from what I understand. Yeah, I mean, it was, you couldn't have gone to a a tougher school at that time. I think it was probably one of the last schools where the the old school mentality was there and they really put the boots to you as far as uh, making sure that your cardio and and everything was on point. So I didn't know what to expect, but I, I fell in love with it right away, man. After I took my first bump, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Who was the who was the crew in there as far as trainers, fellow students, and stuff when you got in there? Wow, that the the doghouse was was New York independent wrestling from you know the early two thousands to the late two thousands. It was myself, uh, my tag team partner Casey Blade, Homicide, Low Key, The Hit Squad, Low Life, Louis Ramos, Julius Smokes, uh, the Tower of Torture. Um, it was the solution, which is Papa Don and Havoc, uh, mm-hmm. All Money is Legal, Grim Reefer, Azriel, Deranged, uh, Ghost Shadow. There was a lot of guys there, bro. The, the, the place was stacked with talent. Like, um, and, you know, once the doghouse closed down, the majority of the talent took over the New York and New Jersey area for years to come. Yeah. Um how how aware were you of the the independent scene when you actually went into the doghouse? Were any of those guys familiar to you off of you know seeing them on shows? Zero, bro. I was not aware at all. Um, I the only thing that I was aware of was having the Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazines and like reading the back, the results, and mm-hmm. reading like local results and like knowing the names that were in the back, but never being able to attach them because I never went to indie shows. I only went to. Uh, WWF house shows and ECW shows that were at the Lost Battalion Hall or at the um, or at the uh, the Elks Lodge. Yeah, so I mean, you stepped into pretty much an All Star team, and uh, I mean, do you, how how long did it take you to realize the type of talent you were surrounded by? Because I mean, just starting out, you don't know the difference from these guys or if every school is like that. But that yeah, squad, one million percent, bro. <laughs> that squad was I crazy. I had no clue. Yeah, that squad was absolutely insane, and and to be a little intricate part of that squad um, is, like, one of the highlights of my wrestling career, but I had no idea, bro. Like, I really didn't know what I was doing. I just was looking for a wrestling ring and then ended up being in that place. It was, like, my destiny to, you know, to kind of end up there and stuff like that, but I, I really had no clue who I was dealing with or what I was dealing with at the time. Yeah. How did you um, come up with a gimmick, a style, you know, what your persona was going to be? 
I was always EC Negro, like, even when I was doing, like, backyard wrestling in, in my house, I was EC Negro. But um, when I got into the doghouse, I, I was just very generic 101 with my wrestling gear and stuff like that. And as time went on, um, they told me that I was going to be teaming – well, Homicide told me that I was going to be teaming up with Casey Blade. And uh, I was watching TNT one day and ended up uh, – watching Monday Night Nitro, and one of the commercials was for the Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and that, that was how we got the name. It was pretty simple. So it was the movie? Yeah, the movie, One Million Percent, bro. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how we got the name. Because we tried other names. Like, we were the Deadly Venoms for a few weeks, like when we were doing mm. the Saturday night shows, and it just it wasn't transitioning into the gimmick or what we were trying to do. And, like, I, I don't know if you're aware of it, but, like, you ever just – you know, you see something and you just know that's you right away. So when that yeah. name popped up, I just knew. I just knew. I was like, we're the Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and, and it stuck. Yeah. Did um did you and Casey Blade immediately click up and have, like, that chemistry together? Did it take a while or, you know, what was, what was the whole genesis of, of coming together as, as far as you were teamed up, but, I mean, you get thrown together, it doesn't mean it has to stick. It clearly did. Yeah, one million, one million percent. So the, the, the genesis of it was the fact that me and him entered the doghouse on the same day together. And mm. he was one of the first people that I met. And I was such a greenhorn at the time. I didn't know what I was doing. I asked him if I could give him a German suplex and he took it from me, which is crazy now that I think about it. So, you know, throughout our backyard days and early doghouse days, we were actually feuding against one another. We had a lot of our matches together, um, and the chemistry was crazy in the matches. We were putting on really solid matches considering uh, how green we were. So then when they put us together, the the chemistry was kind of already there because we knew each other so well. We were wrestling every week whether it was in the, you know, the backyard companies or for the doghouse. So it, it worked uh, predominantly quickly. Plus we were training together with homicide uh, every day. Yeah. Um, so when you broke out of the school, you know, the school ended up being, you know, shut down. And um, you said that, you know, the whole crew kind of took over the New York independent scene. What was your first experience with the New York independent scene? Where were you working and, and what was that like? So my first experience for, an independent company was for Jersey all pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. Um, we did, we did a student show in Bayonne at the, um, at their, at the charity hall and fast side liked what he saw. And at at the time there was another guy named Ray Sager. He was the booker there. He liked what he saw. And Dan Moff was pushing us to them. Like, Oh, you should bring these guys in, blah, blah, blah. So after that, um, we got a shot in Seaside Heights and we, we wrestled the Shallon Wrecking Crew, knocked it out of the park. And then after that, we worked for Frank Goodman at USA Pro Wrestling. Our, our first match was in the Elks Lodge and we ended up wrestling uh, Prince Nana and Crazy Ivan and we were pretty over that night and from there, everything just took off. It actually went by really fast, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, so early on with Jersey All Pro again, I mean that was kind of a, I mean a pretty much at home atmosphere because some a lot of the guys that you listed in your school ended up at Jersey All Pro. Um, yeah, for sure. But, you know, getting in there was it um, 
was was it just comfortable because you already knew half the roster or you know how was it breaking into that type of scene it was just we you know me and blade believed in our talent so much and what we were what we were trying to do which was basically uh being those old school heels that sold for the baby face as much as humanly possible and and just made sure that we cut off the ring. That was kind of the concept that we started with. And mm-hmm. we were just drawing a lot of, we were drawing a lot of heat right away. So that's what helped us out. But it, we were just, we just were so excited to be actually getting paid, even if it was like 20 bucks to be on an indie show that that's what we did. And um, we were pretty comfortable right away because we, we worked with magic and, you know, magic's one of the, the biggest legends in the, in the history of New Jersey, independent wrestling. And he took care of us. They wanted mm-hmm. us to get squashed. And, and he ended up. Ah, oh. oh, he just dropped off. Uh, hopefully he'll call back. Uh, I don't know what happened there, but you know, I mean, that, that shit happens from time to time. Um, let me see. Uh, hopefully his number will pop back up in a minute. Let me, uh, Get him on the fucking, uh, there he is. He's calling back in now. All right, you back? <laughs> yeah, I'm back, bro. I don't know what the hell uh, happened, but we just got disconnected. But, uh, yeah. basically Magic was looking out for me, and uh, they were going to squash us to try to test us out. And uh, he gave us a great match, and we did so well that, like, three to four shows later, we were already winning the tag team titles, which was pretty insane. Um, So, that it, like, we just... We got a lot early in our career, and I think it worked against us, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, now, you know, coming up and being with um, Casey Blade and having the tag team and this and that, was that just, like, your plan to be a tag team wrestler long term? Or, you know, was it ever in your mind, like, you should break off and try to make something out of yourself singles? Or you know, how did that all go? I really love tag team wrestling, and I think it's like a special art form, and you need the right – group of guys uh, to be able to actually stay committed to it and, and make it work. Like I, I was never a fan of a makeshift tag team of two guys that were put together. So when we started doing tag team work, the goal was to be, uh, you know, a tag team wrestler and to make it as the dirty rotten scoundrels. And once mm-hmm. blade got hurt and I got the taste of doing singles work, it, that's kind of what changed my mind to wanting to be uh, a tag team wrestler. I, I enjoyed the fact that every show that you went to, you were wrestling someone different. But on the mm-hmm. tag team independent scene at that time, there was only like a handful of tag teams that you would be wrestling consistently. SAT, All Money is Legal, The Solution, Christopher Street Connection. There wasn't a ton of tag teams at the time. So, you know, you kind of got bored, you know, relatively quickly with the opponents that you had. Yeah. You mentioned the Christopher Street connection. Um, you know, what was your thoughts on their gimmick and working those guys? Because obviously, you know, you, you wound up in some situations you weren't really, um, you know, accustomed <laughs> to. <laughs> you know, they were phenomenal. They were phenomenal, but they were they were too ahead of their time. I feel yeah. like if that tag team came out now, you know, with the way that the uh, LGBT community is so respected and not feared anymore. Um, that they would have been a very successful tag team. Um, you know, Sonny Kiss is the perfect example of somebody who was, in, who was in the right place at the right time. If he would have did that gimmick, you know, 10, 12 years ago, it wouldn't have uh, worked out. But uh, I thought the Christopher Street Connection were a phenomenal tag team. And to be honest with you, my favorite matches were with them because 
we didn't really have to do much as far as physical wrestling. We had to just uh-huh. be more creative with the with the spots that we were doing. So it was just figuring out ways to get like them over as much as humanly possible and having us react to it in a negative way. Um, yeah. That's what made the matches special. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it it would be different as far as the Christopher Street connection is now. Um, like you said, they'd be super over because of the LGBT thing, but at the same token, like Christopher Street, half the time we're over because they were the the other side of the ring to the hit squad. You know, like yeah, for sure. <laughs> it, you know, it was like they were getting squashed. The first Ring of Honor show started out with them coming out and saying, you know, just so you guys know, you know, this, start, this stands for Ring of Homos. And they're, they're standing right. in there and they're like, <laughs> Hit Squad's music hits and the, the building, the roof comes off. You know what I mean? So yeah, they, they had a different dynamic. That, yeah, they had a, 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 a very different dynamic. And what's funny about that match that you mentioned was during the entrance of Buffy and Mays, Buffy kisses uh, a, a fan in the crowd, and that fan ended up being me. So it was, oh, you know, I wanted to help them. Yeah, I wanted. If you watch it, if you ever see it again, it's it's, it's pretty hilarious. So you'll notice that it's me that he kisses. But uh-huh. um, they were they were they were they were amazing, man, um, and so creative with their spots and understanding how to be in gimmick. And um, they did it all the time. They did it in the back as well, and. Um, their time ended very prematurely. They they could have had a very successful career if they would have stuck with it. Sure. Yeah. It's just, it, like I said, the dan- dynamic was different. You couldn't do it that way now because that would be, you know, like a hate crime. No, I, I mean, I think you could do it now, but you'd have to be more creative with how you did it. And you would just have to, you know, blur the lines a little bit with, with some of the things that they that they were actually doing. I actually think the gimmick would be more over now. Uh, to 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 be to be really really honest, like yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of um, you know, um, LGBT wrestlers that are out now that are doing very well for themselves. Sure. That 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 wouldn't have been doing well if if um if it was a few years back. Yeah, I just don't think you could have the hit squad killing them and the crowd going wild for it. No, I, yeah, no, I don't. I, <laughs> probably, probably not. But I think that they would be more of a they would be more of a challenge for the hit squad now, and right. the fans would have more sympathy towards them. So if you were to do some of those, you know, vicious uh, squash matches when they were to come back, or if they were to ever get that big victory against the hit squad, the pop would be ginormous because it wouldn't be expected, and it would be yeah. more of like uh, they'd be more babyface. Right. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, so um, let me see. Uh, 2003, you worked for CZW a little bit. Um, you know, what was that like yeah, going man. into CZW? Obviously, way different locker room. Um, you know, somewhat of a rival company, too, because, you know, Zandig wasn't all, all that friendly with Fat Frank. No, he wasn't. And what's crazy is that uh, Mike Burns from, um, I think it was a Smart Mark video, mm-hmm. hooked, us up with the, hooked us up with the booking. He was filming... Uh, JCW at the time, which was Ricky O's company, and he was a big fan of ours and pushed us really hard to Zandig. I never really interacted with him, and neither did Blade during our time there. But our time there, we we were generating like real heat, 
And I was mm-hmm. told from some of my friends that were in the back that some of the wrestlers didn't like that we were getting so over so quickly. So our time was kind of cut short there. But yeah. uh, the the experience was amazing because we got to wrestle in the, in the real ECW arena. You know, that was, um, right. you know, there's many different, like the, the version of the ECW arena now. That's not really the ECW arena to me. That's just a much fancier uh, version of what it actually was, but to be able to wrestle there um, was the the best honor of all, and we got to work the Hate Club a little bit and um, uh, CKNY, and we we helped All Money Is Legal get in the company, which was crazy. We did a few matches with them and ended up keeping them and getting rid of us. So you know that, that's just yeah. the way it goes. That's just the way it goes. But um, it was a it was a great experience, and uh, I wish that. Uh, I would have ha- we would have had a better run as the DRS and CBW. I think we could have made money with the with the back seats. Yeah, uh, yeah. And speaking of the back seats, obviously Trent was a guy who worked a lot of Jersey All Pro, and obviously CZW, um, you actually got to work him in Jersey All Pro. Um, you know, what was it like working with Trent, and what was your overall um, relationship with him? Trent was one of the greatest wrestlers in in the history of professional wrestling. I mean, I don't want to, you know, his demons are his demons, and everybody has demons. We all go through things that people don't know about. But if you mm-hmm. want to talk about, like, a pure athlete who looked the part, wouldn't forget a spot, wouldn't forget anything, it was Trent Astrid. He was one of the um, the greatest wrestlers that I ever stepped in the ring with and also one of the greatest brothers outside of the ring that you could ever have. He was so cool and... um the one match that I got to work him in Jersey All Pro, he was in his prime and he put me over and it was a it was a big honor to get put over by him because, you know, a little before that in Ring of Honor, him and Homicide are tearing it up and having these like monster matches and yeah. you know, the backseat boys are the were were to me the top indie tag team on the northeast, you know what I mean? Uh better than the FAT, better than the Briscoe brothers. They were just awesome of what they did um and a little private story i saw trent uh a few weeks before he passed away and he, he you know he wasn't in the best shape but i was able to tell him how much i loved him and how much i appreciated him and that's that's you know my for me personally that was my last memory of him but he was mm-hmm. always uh super awesome and a, and a fantastic guy to be around yeah yeah for sure um so you were mentioning Frank Goodman earlier. Um, you worked for Frank, um, and I, I didn't really see too much firsthand USA Pro. Um, I ended up learning like down the road when I was watching some of those best of RF tapes. A lot of those were USA Pro matches that they were using. So, you know, I had seen them, but didn't even realize they were USA Pro shows because they're you know part of a compilation of best of key, best of homicide, that type of thing. Um, right. What was it like working for him initially? Uh, initially he gave us a great opportunity. Um, you know, we, we, we won his tag team titles. We, we were making good money in his company, but he was responsible for shutting the doghouse down and he was very intelligent of what he did. He was a very carny guy. The, the fact that we were able to wrestle in the real Elks Lodge, because, you know, now if you're aware of the, you know, the Queens area, the Elks Lodge that they use, the one next door, it's much smaller. That's not the real Elks Lodge. But mm-hmm. to wrestle in the, in, in, in the real building, like where the ECW shows were held out, was like a was a huge honor, man, because you would go there as a 
I would go there a few years earlier and like watch them do shows there and watch it on TV. And so to be able to wrestle there was, was pretty insane. He's a dick though. He still is a dick. So, yeah. you know, that's just, that that's just being honest. I don't like to really talk bad about people, but he's not a good human being um, personally. So right. uh, that, that's really my feelings on, on USA pro. Now you talked about him um, being responsible for shutting the doghouse down. Um, obviously, the doghouse is is very near and dear to guys like Homicide and Loki and stuff like that. And those guys are still kind of you know in good with with Goodman and and they're still pretty loyal to him. How does how does that work out? And how did it actually go about where he was responsible for that? I think at the time USA Pro was really the only show in town. Of, uh, no, well no, there was also Jack Sabbath by CW. But, you know, Jack kept on coming in and out, you know, like he would do a few shows and do well and then stop. And to be honest, I, I kind of feel like the well, it was UCW before it was ICW. I feel like Jack mm-hmm. was more responsible for RF taking all that talent to Ring of Honor than than USA Pro was, to be honest. But, um, you know, at the time, it was the only show in town, and money talks, man. When you're a worker, you're going to work and get paid. So if, if these guys were getting good paydays, uh, they're going to do it regardless. Uh, it was smart business, man. I, I can't I can't knock them for that. But in the back of my mind, I always knew that he was responsible and, and was never really a fan of his because of that. I could only imagine how a lot of, you know, my brothers from the Doghouse careers would have been if the Doghouse never got shut down because uh, the ball was just starting to really roll and rumble when that happened. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's it's strange to see Homicide and those guys still so loyal due to the guy, you know, if he had so much to do with, you know, something that meant so much to them. Yeah, money, brother. At the end of the day, man, people are loyal to green more than anything uh, in this wrestling business. And, you know, it's unfortunate that it is like that, because I, I'm I'm not one of those people that are really like that, and I think that's kind of hurt me in my career too. That I've been very outspoken about my opinions on certain people, but at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I can look in the mirror and be true to myself and and true to how I was raised. Like respect the people that respect you, love the people that love you, and 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 disrespect the people that disrespect you. So I I that guy was bad business, bro. Yeah. Now, you know, I had listened to the, the, the Mass Maniac show for a while um, when he was doing that with um, Anthony de Blasi, and uh, I remember him saying stuff about you, and he, he would say, like, yeah, you know, I, uh, I I called this guy, I wanted to use him for the show, but now he thinks he's worth more money than, than I had initially paid him, and all he's worth is the $20. You know, like you were saying, initially, it meant something to make just that 20 bucks, but Years later, right. he thought you're still worth no more than that. Um, from your side of things, will, how do you speak on that? This is a business, brother, and, and like at the end of the day, you got to know your worth and you got to know what your value is at the time. And sure. initially, when I worked for him, I, I never worked for under like seventy five bucks for him. So he's you know he's a pathological liar. But right. um, you know, uh, at the at the time, I was really hot you know what I mean I I started doing the singles thing and I was picking up a lot of steam 
And it's so crazy how, like, in 2005, 2006, I was making more money on the indies than I was in 2017, 2018. But that's mm. how the market was back then. The promoters were paying more money for premium talent. Whereas, you know, nowadays, we, a lot of these guys will work for free just to get on the show. So it kind of messes mm-hmm. up the market when, when, when veterans ask for the money that they want. But you have to strike when the iron's hot no matter uh, what point in the business you're in. If you can make money, make your money. This is what it's about. It's about making money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, you know, guys like him, and, I mean, there's other people out there too, but really survive off of the ticket sellers and, you know, long, long shows and, you know, the guys who aren't making anything pretty much pay for the guys who are making something. Right, and I'm not, I was never really a fan of it, you know, um, because I kind of I, – I feel like the wrestling business changed from when I entered into it to now. Now any Joe Schmo off the street could come in and sell 10 tickets and be put on a show, which is really fucking crazy if you really think about it because 10 years ago, you had to – well, when I started, you had to be licensed in New York to wrestle. Mm-hmm. You had to get three wrestlers to legitimately sign for you in order for you to get your New York State uh, license from the Athletic Commission. So, uh, you know, the times have changed, and there are many positives to how wrestling has changed over the years, and there are many, you know, negatives. That's one of the biggest negatives is the fact that anybody could walk in at any time. It's it, it's nuts. You don't even need training anymore to, to, to be a wrestler. Yeah. Um, you, know, you talk about the New York scene. Um, it seems like the New York scene was more difficult. Like you said, the, the licensing and all of that stuff, it seemed like it was a more difficult place to run. They seem to have bigger sanctions on like violent wrestling and it really just everything seemed to be on lockdown. How does New York wrestling survive or how did it survive back then going forward? Well, the, the, the sanctions were a little bit different and you were able to get away with a little bit more back then. You know, mm-hmm. like recently GCW came and they did the Joey Janela spring break in New York. And they're, they're basically, to me, they're the old school CZW. They're what CZW used to be and what the fans used to really be into, you know, like the mm-hmm. combat zone fans. It was yep. that mixture of, of good wrestling and the hardcore violence and stuff like that. And then CZW went into a different direction and GCW pretty much, I'm not going to say jack their style, but you know, to, to some extent, they did they did take their formula that worked and applied it. So when sure. they came to New York, they had to get very creative with uh, the way that they did their shows. Um, and they were very successful. You know, you got to give props to Brett Lauderdale and the, and the staff over there for that. But the, the sanctions are extremely different. Um, if you didn't know, I was running a company called NYC, which stood for Now You Create Wrestling. We did, we did a bunch of shows this year. And mm-hmm. before before you even go into uh, booking your first talent, you're already $2,000 in the hole. So the, the, the money that you have to spend in New York is, is it, it's a, a shows are more expensive. Uh, the New York State Athletic Commission, and you need to be licensed and all these different things, whereas you could just go across the border to, to New Jersey and pocket all that money. You don't have to spend any of that money on, on uh, licensing or, or, uh, or other things of that nature, an ambulance, stuff like that. So New York is a very difficult place to run, but if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, literally. Yeah. 
the other thing I, I've always seemed to have um, a little bit of a problem with, with, with New York's feds, even the ones that are doing well, like uh, House of Glory is doing great, but I, I feel like the distribution or something, I hear more about PWG, I hear more about stuff that goes on AAW, I hear more about their results and, and see more access to their actual content than stuff that happens like right around the corner. Um, what that, do you think it is as far as distribution? Good. That's that's pretty accurate, brother. Like I'm I'm surprised that you're actually saying that to me. But I agree with you a thousand percent on that. And the difference is is that these other companies are catering to the smart mark fan. Um, mm-hmm. the fans that are gonna really invest in in pro in the product of wrestling and buying streaming services and stuff like that. Um these companies don't cater to that. House of Glory has their own formula that works for them, and it's awesome, you know, that they're able to have something that they want to do their way, and, and they're making money doing it. Just like GCW has their own formula. I had my own formula. Um, but they don't they don't cater to those fans, and they don't want to give away their content for free, whereas, you know, uh, PWG will get you hyped just off that, that six, seven-minute hype video to make you buy the DVD. You know what I mean? They cater to they they're catering to the internet and to YouTube and making sure that people from all around the country want to go and uh, either order or stream PWG. And like for Bola, the the front row tickets are like two hundred dollars for Bola, and people are buying them, bro. That 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 yeah, it is crazy, but it's how you brand your product. And if you brand your product like that from the beginning in New York, it can be like that. You just have to use. Uh, social media to to your advantage, and I don't really think too many companies have done that yet. Yeah, I, I think uh, House of Glory. I mean, they leave money on the table. I mean, I, I'll find out six months down the road, like, oh, before Ricochet was signed, uh, they had low key Ricochet in their ring. <laughs> it's like you packed the right. building, but is that where you want your money to stop? Like, damn. I mean, everybody has their different agendas. I don't know what their long-term goals are, but they're pretty successful at what they do, so I can't question that. I just know, you know, if, if, I, if the shoe was on the other foot, I would probably do things differently. If I could draw 1,000, 2,000 people at a show, I would want as many people to see it as humanly possible, and I would, I would want uh, people to talk about uh, the shows. Yeah. Um, now, the... NYC company that you um, you're running um, definitely got my attention because you know you guys were running using the um, the old rap albums as far as like your your gimmicks and your promos for the shows and it, it stood out because it was something way different than you've seen anywhere else and as a Thank you. huge hip hop fan like it just jumps off the page of people it's like oh shit look at this it's, it's the Nas album it's it's the Biggie album it's I mean. You know, you're really hitting a lot of angles with that. What was the thought process going into that, and what made you go that angle? It was about being creative and not and not being the typical wrestling company. I, I think people underestimate, like, how much I understand wrestling and, like, how much I understand marketing. So with myself, I'm not a fan of, like, and, and you can tell me if you agree or you disagree with this, and I think you're the perfect person to talk to. I think the generic poster doesn't work anymore. Yeah. I think when people promote their matches and they just put the flyer up, oh, this is my match at this time and this date, people 
don't get excited about it. They're like, okay, it's just another typical wrestling match. Whereas we were trying to become, and, and you know, and still trying to become, because I, I think that NYC will continue, even though I'm not wrestling anymore. Um, they, they they were trying to become uh, a very different style of wrestling, very hard-hitting, kind of R-rated, and targeting the hip-hop community. And, like, I, there's a lot of ideas that haven't even been implemented yet with the company that will be implemented. But the goal mm. was to attract that 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 Brooklyn hipster, real hip-hop fan, 18 to 30 audience. And our first few shows had, like, that real, like, gritty, gutter, like, ECW feel, like, where people were very into the shows. And, you know, we were we were doing very well. And, I mean, all our shows were, were pretty um, successful, considering that we were uh, starting up. But, you know... Um, when you're focused on your wrestling career, it's kind of hard to run a company and focus on it at the same time. So now that that's gone, uh, maybe I could focus on that a little bit more and be more creative with it. Yeah. Now, you know, when you say you're targeting, you know, the hip hop community and stuff like that, um, urban wrestling federations tried that, but they, they went in a direction where it got ridiculous, where like people were getting shot and shit like this. Um, I was there, bro. I was there. <laughs> I was on the first pay-per-view. I know. I hated it, bro. It was it was a good concept, but it was done terribly. Like their yeah. focus was more on the the girls there and on the rap artists than it was on the actual wrestling product. And you have to be creative with how you do storylines. I don't know how many promos you saw from NY from NYC, but mm-hmm. we were trying to present it uh, very very differently, and a lot of people were were more intrigued by by it especially before they found out it was me running it i think once they found out it was me people weren't as intrigued because it was me but uh you know how you know how it goes bro you know how it is but um you know uh it was you have to you have to give a different look you have to give a different presentation and if you have 10 companies in new york just doing generic wrestling shows you have to Mm -hmm. be creative with how you present you have to be creative with how you present the show hence the name now you create we want to give every wrestler that was on our roster the opportunity to create moments to create a a different style a different swag to professional wrestling and i I think uh over the next few months you're going to see nyc really uh pick up more steam yeah because i mean i thought that was a big big flaw when they started going down like guns and stuff like that because it's like all right like you know my boy got shot i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna put him in a headlock for that shit (laughs) <laughs> like all right bro. right like, you know i get that that makes a lot that makes a lot of sense but you but you want to if it was presented in a in a lucha underground type way where yeah. it, it wasn't because the guys that were running urban wrestling federation didn't know shit about wrestling they yeah. just had money and you know like i remember uh at the time the guy's name was steve o'neill that he was running it he didn't care if there was 20 people in the freaking hammerstein ballroom all they cared about was the actual footage so when you're when you're not catering to wrestling fans and you're not caring about packing people in the building how do you expect people to order the pay-per-view you know what i mean like you have to you have to be able to cater to as many people and as many genres as humanly possible and i think they uh they missed the opportunity to do something very cool with that product um, speaking of hip hop, back um, you know, you, you used to come out to the um, Speak Your Clout by um, Gangstar. 
Um, no, no, you no know, it wasn't me. I don't think. You didn't start out with that? No, we started out with Sea Murder Down for My Niggas. That was our theme music for a long, long time. And that was, uh, and I love Gangstar, don't get me wrong. I, I was listening to Take It Personal and Step Into the Arena like two days ago, so I, I still bump that stuff, but I know that wasn't. I thought y'all started out with that before the, before the beat kicked in. You had the part of Dirty Rotten Scoundrel, no? Oh, he dropped again. Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, wait for him to call in. On, and I freaking, uh, with the AirPods, if you touch the side, it hangs up automatically. I, I oh, apologize shit. for that, bro. Okay. New headphones. Yeah, I can swear you used the sample from up. that. No, we freaking, um, we used down for my niggas, and then uh, I... For my singles run, I was using Mob Deep, put it and put them in the place. That's the, that's mm. the song that I was using for the last run, and I love I-, I loved it, man. And I I love old school hip hop. I don't know what the question was gonna be, but um, hip hop is my shit, man. Always. What was your favorite shit back then? Like you know the nineties. Nineties was the you know that was the Ooh, man. era. Nazomatic was crazy, but I was also really big into uh tribe called quest i was obviously very heavy into the first biggie album the second biggie album i remember going to the whiz and buying it uh big pun um uh, mm-hmm. mob d de la soul krs one big daddy came rock him I, I could go on and on man new york was yeah. uh, new york hip-hop was very prevalent my you know my brother was heavy into your own tv rap so that was always playing in the house too uh MOP, wow, I could go on and on, but uh, yeah, the hip-hop scene was real, EPMD, the hip-hop scene was serious, Big Daddy Kane, wow, I, I love hip-hop, man, I could, I could go on and on, that was the inspiration for, you know, the album covers, was to make sure that we were able to find iconic New York hip-hop album covers that people would remember just by seeing them right away, so yeah. uh, that's what we were trying to do at NYC. Yeah. So um, you dedicated yourself on the on the heel side of things. We had started out talking about this a little bit, but um, you know, to the point where you were you were gonna try to make people hate you by any means necessary. Um, your what was your your um? Cause I, at some point you had to just go like, all right, fuck it. Like there, people are gonna think what they think on think, and this is what right. I'm looking to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, originally when we came up in the business, the concept was to keep kayfabe as much as humanly possible and to make people believe in the character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you have to be socially aware, and I don't think I was socially aware. Uh, this fucking guy in his ear pods. Killing me with the fucking ear pods, bro. I mean, just, dude, he's crazy with these fucking AirPods. Um, I just got, like, a list here, like, fucking call, drop, call, drop, call, drop, fucking guy. Let me see. Come on, motherfucker. Call back in. Man. 
All right. So I don't even know if you realize that he dropped. There he goes again. I, I, I realized right away that I dropped it. It wasn't me this time. The call just uh, literally dropped. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been dropping left and right, bro. Shit, it's like um, the fucking New York Knicks. Yeah, man. Always Starts out good. Everything's good. Roll, bro. We're talking, <laughs> having a good time. Next thing you know, you don't make the playoffs. It's, it's crazy. That that that's rough, man. But that's been my life for a long time with, <laughs> with the uh, with the Knicks. Unfortunately, you know. But you, you take the good with the bad, you know. But so, um, with, yeah. But the 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 what were we talking about, bro? The you the said heel, you don't think you were socially shit, right? aware. Oh no, definitely not, man. I think uh, I think I made a. I know for a fact that I made made a lot of mistakes when it came to that, and it gave me. Uh, you know, a very negative uh, reputation, unfortunately. And I, mm-hmm. I, to be honest, I don't think that I deserved a lot of the things that I heard about myself. Um, mm. But to each its own, you know what I'm saying? I must have rubbed somebody the wrong way. But uh, if I could go back and change it, I definitely would. And I would have been more business uh, early on and taking the craft, like, very, very seriously, um, just focusing on uh, doing things right and developing great relationships with people because at the end of the day, you do need other people to give you that yes in order for you to go to the next level. Yeah. Um, now, you know, taking the heel persona that seriously to really just live the gimmick more or less as far as um, social media and all that was concerned. Um, what's your thoughts on the other side of things where now in, in 2018 and the years prior to it, everything became like the, the ring of honor, you know, where everybody's got to put each other over after the match. Uh, uh, there's hugging and kissing and, 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 uh, just, I love you speeches after every fucking match. <laughs> I like, fucking the, hated it, bro. The heat I is gone. It I still hate it. I hate it. And I still hate it. I, like at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in it's up to the wrestler to keep kayfabe alive, but you also yeah. have to, uh, develop a relationship with, fans because that's the era that we're in you know we're in the era of social media where every single uh fan has a voice and it wasn't mm-hmm. like that years ago years ago you didn't have to care about what other people thought or how other people were gonna uh perceive you but to me as a wrestler i personally detest and i'm gonna use the word detest because i i really do detest it when uh wrestler a uh wrestles wrestler b and after the match they're thanking them online um you know or they're fucking taking pictures with the wrestler and like showing them that they're actually boys behind the scenes i fucking hate it bro it makes no sense to me but you know the the lines have kind of been blurred in in wrestling nowadays where that stuff doesn't really matter as much anymore so ah I think, but it I definitely should. think it hurt the business. No, it one million percent should. And to a purist, a real wrestling fan like yourself, you understand that. But to a lot mm-hmm. of these like freaking modern day wrestling fans, they have no clue, bro. They like they they want the wrestlers to be cool with them. You know what I'm saying? They want that. Whereas back in the in the late '80s, uh, '70s, you wanted to really hate a wrestler. You know, the the heels were the ones that were making money because of the, the heat that they were generating uh, amongst uh, the fans. 
So yeah. it's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of an oxymoron nowadays. But I'm not a fan of it at all, bro. At all. With me, like you know, as I I became an independent wrestling fan, um, I, I was never really a guy who was like you know that's the bad guy, so I want to hate him and stuff. Like if I hate a motherfucker, I don't want to watch him. I don't I don't want to support him. I don't want to be in the building. Like I don't want to be around you if I hate you. But um, right. I get my that thing. Too. I understand that. My thing was always like if you sat down as a wrestling fan and the guy next to you or, or two rows behind you said, hey man these guys really fucking hate each other. Like they got heat for real. Like some shit happened at a show last month. And like, these guys don't get along at all. You would be hyped. You'd be, you'd be like, yo, I can't wait for this fucking shit. Bring the bell. Cause this shit is going to get real. You know, like there's yeah, a couple sure, man. things like that. And that's, if you could just paint that picture just a little bit and give the fans a possibility that these two don't like each other. Now, now I care. You know, I mean, it's not these guys rode in the same car and, you know, they they fucking split the bill on a fucking. <laughs> right. No, Jay, I wish there was more people like you that that looked at it that way. But unfortunately, the era of wrestler that's coming into the wrestling business cares more about likes and followers than they do about protecting the wrestling business. Yeah. So when, you, you know, so like when. Wrestling is being more catered to social media and not to the art form of wrestling. You're going to stray away from that and try to get as over as possible. And that that's one of the things I learned towards the end of my wrestling career, because I, I felt like I was putting out a lot of content, a lot of promos and like people were getting behind me, but it wasn't translating into uh, bookings where like in the early two thousands and mid two thousands, it would have translated into me working a lot. People would have, uh, respected the investment that i put into it so you know mm-hmm. it's it's like hit or miss it's like hit or miss yeah um so what was this latest thing that happened you know with frank goodman because uh, you know you had um decided you were gonna retire you were gonna you know finish wrestling um you know focus on life and um your last match was going to be there against manny fernandez and um uh, things went downhill yeah, I thought it was a great way for me to leave the business wrestling the guy that trained my trainer. You know what I mean? I thought it would have mm-hmm. been uh, really fucking cool to, to go out wrestling a legend like Manny Fernandez, no matter you know what age he's in or what condition he's in. He's one of the greatest wrestlers in the history of wrestling. Um, and, you know, talk, Homicide was really excited for the match for me. He thought it was such a cool idea that it was happening. But the retirement thing kind of just came out of left field. And uh, when Goodman heard that I was retiring, he he asked me for his money back. Like, he didn't even want me on his show. He was like, oh, you're retiring? Can I get my money back? And I was like, bro, but I'm going to retire on your on your show. Like, can I have that one last moment? And um, he uh, said some really fucked up shit to me, you know, pretty, pretty derogatory stuff. Uh, and it, it just just made me not want to be a part of his product. And, you know, I stood away from the guy for a long time because I didn't, the guy was always going out of his way to try to like take money out of my pocket and like hurt my wrestling career. And when you have people mm-hmm. like that around, you're, you're never going to win. Um, and it, it's very unfortunate because uh, a lot of my, a lot of people wanted to see that match. It was actually probably, the most talked about match on his whole show, you know, considering he has all these names that he brings in, 
Nobody was talking about those matches. People were talking about my match with Manny Fernandez. You know, one thing I believe Frank was out of touch with being in Florida for so many years was how over I was in New York, especially the last two years. Yeah, I was probably the biggest heel in in the in the area. Actually, I know for a fact that I was the biggest heel in the area. So, you know, he was trying to treat me like a greenhorn and shit like that. I wasn't having it. And after he said the shit that he said to me, there was no way that I was going to go ever work for him again. I, I respect myself, you know. You're going right. to disrespect my family and say racist shit towards my family. And as you know, you have beautiful children. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you know the situation, man. You're not yeah. going to let anybody disrespect your family, bro. So that at the end of the day, that's what happened. And and uh, I'm very happy that I got paid to sit at home. It's just crazy to me because what was his, his thought process or stand? I know you can't really speak on, you know, what he was thinking too much, but what what was his point or, or reasoning behind not wanting part of that? Because I think, if anything, that would be a better selling point to say that this is a retirement match or, you know, this is this is the last hurrah. I, I think that's a that's that's a plus for him. I, I don't want to see what his problem one, is. One billion percent, and I didn't understand it either. And, you know, like he was trying to tell me, oh, I want to give you a much easier match than Manny Fernandez, like – trying to disrespect who I am as a performer. Like I've wrestled the top names in this industry over the last two years. I'm rest- right. I've wrestled guys that are in fucking NXT now and ring of honor now, you know, and like all these top companies and had very good matches with them too, by the way, you know, right. and, and he's trying to tell me that I can't handle wrestling like a 65 year old guy, like no offense to anybody, but don't, don't disrespect me like that. You know, I, right. I take pride in what I do and, and what I bring to the table. So, you know, um, the whole situation with him got out of hand, and then he started basically trying to say that I, like, I'm welfare and I live in a cardboard box and, like, people don't like you. Like, really corny, like, 1980s jokes. But, like, yeah. you know, I'm like, this guy's a fucking asshole. I'm not going to give him the pleasure of having me, uh, you know, in my last match for him. So, you know, it, it kind of worked out that Pro Wrestling Magic, which was a company that, uh, really helped me out, gave me the ball to uh, to have my my final moment there. Yeah. Um, so, if you were to put together like your favorite matches, just say like you were to put together like a best of and like your top three matches. If someone never saw you wrestle before, what would your three matches be? You picked out. Uh, me versus Jay Lethal, we did uh, we did uh, like a 30-man Ironman match for Ace uh, Pro Wrestling that not a lot of people saw, but the match was next-level phenomenal, so good. Um, and it was at that time when I was doing my babyface singles run. It was really excellent work. Recently, I had a match with Tatanka, and it was probably one of the best matches of my career. It was like so intense and so hard-hitting, and the fans were really involved in it. Um, Gosh, I, there's a lot of matches. But say, oh, I wrestled Chris Hero. That was a fantastic match. I really loved that match too. So, a lot of different matches, man. You know, you you, I worked Tommy Dreamer. I had a very good match with him. You know, I'm working Al Snow. You know, he's loving my work, and 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 veterans that that I've been watching for years are respecting what I'm doing and telling me that I could I could make it and I could I could you know live the dream. Those are like the best moments for me personally because you're idolizing someone 
that you watched on TV for years, and they're actually respecting you and your craft. So, yeah, uh, yeah that, that, those would probably be the moments, man. What, what do you think was the most surreal moment you've had? You, you know, you said, you know, it was big to work in the Elks Lodge. It was big to work in the ECW arena and, and some of the, the veterans you worked and stuff like that. What was, you know, the one that really, really jumped out? Well, I mentioned him in the beginning, but I met Roddy Piper and he was the nicest human being that I've ever met in my life. He actually like tried FaceTiming my brother and my brother didn't pick up the phone. I know he really regrets that, but, um, yeah, man, um, Piper, uh, held my son was super cool with me and told me he was going to put me in the hall of fame one day, you know? Um, and when you idolize someone as much as I idolize Roddy Piper, because believe me, I idolize Roddy Piper. Um, that was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. And well, I know for a fact that that's the best thing that ever happened to me in my wrestling career. It's like you, you're you're rubbing shoulders with the guy that inspired you to be you. And he was so genuine and cool with me, so that would definitely have been, you know, that moment for me. Yeah. Nice. Um, so yeah, man, um I think that's about all I got. Um is there anything you want to promote, put out there, any other topics you wanna to touch on before you Nah, man, I just, you know, I want to, I want to, uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I truly appreciate it, man. And, um, again, sorry about our incident at Jersey all pro that time. I, I know I, I knew what I was doing, but you know, your, your family has always been very nice to me. And, um, and I really want to apologize to you for that and just keep on doing what you're doing, bro. You support pro wrestling and you're one of the real fans that, that loves it. And you give back to the business as much as you possibly can. So I appreciate that, and and um, you just let people know that uh, that we're good, man. That's it, man. I, you know, I'm I just I'm content with what I'm doing, and I'm happy in, with the direction that my life is going into. I want to focus on my son and just you know ride off in the sunset a winner. And feeling feeling healthy in the prime of my life, man. I, I could still go in the wrestling ring if I had to. So I feel good knowing that I'm leaving on my own terms, you know. Yeah, man. Well. You're a good dude. I got no no ill will to you, towards you at all. Um, like I said, I mean, you were just you were living that heel gimmick, and um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm different than your average cat. I don't really just uh, you know, go towards the heel thing. Like I hate that guy. I want to see him get beat up, so I'll buy a ticket. I'm just not that guy. You know what I mean? So right. No, completely understandable, man. And like I said again, I apologize for it because it's not cool. No and like you were always so respectful to me. Your your wife was always so respectful to me. So. You know, I um, you want to be good to people that are good to you. So I I, I uh, extend my deepest apologies for that, and I just appreciate uh, having the opportunity to be on because I've always wanted to be on uh, on your show, bro. I appreciate it, man. Um, like I said, anytime you want to come on, you got something to get off your chest. You want to talk about something? Let me know, man. Yeah, uh, anytime, man. And again, guys, thank you so much, and uh, and I hope to. You know, we, you never know what this wrestling world, what's going to happen. But uh, I know for me personally, my time is up. You know, like you, you just want to, I don't want to be one of those guys that are on the indies in their mid forties doing it just to do it. I wanted to, I, when I came back to wrestling, it was to try to, to accomplish the dream. And, you know, once I saw that it, it probably wasn't going to happen, I figured I could go out on a high note and on my terms. So I'm just happy I was able to do that and happy 
to uh, squash as many of the beefs that I possibly had before uh, before my time was up. But thank you for having me, bro. I really appreciate it, man. No worries, man. Um, so, yeah, check him out on Facebook, uh, whatever else you're on, uh, social media-wise. You, you, anything you want to plug on that? Yeah, if, if you guys want to follow me on uh, on Instagram and Twitter, it's at LRayAllDay, E-L-R-E-Y-A-L-L-D-A-Y. And the shoot gimmick uh, for Facebook is Jarrell, J-O-R-E-L-K-O-N-Y Arroyo. And uh, you guys can reach out to me anytime, man. I'm I'm probably one of the nicer wrestlers, even though I got the reputation of being this asshole. Um, I, I talk to my fans, and I and I I don't shun anybody from having a conversation. So anybody that reaches out, you'll definitely be able to talk to me. And uh, that's it. Thank you, brother. All right, man. Have a good night. You too, brother. Be well, man. Thank you for having me. Bye bye. Right. Awesome. So there you go, EC Negro. Uh, I said I want to have him on for a while, and uh, you know we got it done. And uh, yeah, so I'm gonna take this break. Got a few things to touch on before I get the fuck out of here. And um, yeah, check this out. Yo, this is uh, 2018 nine on the motherfucker. Screaming at me, let me out. You know you need me. I'm before and after you, like TV. It's time to change the scenery, cause I don't see no things of me. And recently it seemed to me, it seemed to be a fraternity of rappers who feature together to beat you together. I can beat with whoever. All my words past the margin in my book of rhymes when I'm jotting down my jargon. I beg your pardon, I'm James Harden with the Euro step. Trying to engineer this whole thing. I want that Duro rep. Just me and my silhouette. I've been a threat, but now I'm a promise and I'm a keep it. Honest. My llamas ain't imaginary, they spit Chinese characters, it's a whole nother vocabulary, cranberry interior Vima, Hurricane Maria, your city, then take my time fixing it like FEMA, I've seen it all before, waste of life, you like steaming on the floor, and I hit like an elephant is leaning on your jaw, touch me and me at all, I start cutting like it's raw, like the law in Singapore, either you sing or pull. I had it all before, I swore I wasn't looking back Objects are closer than they appear in the mirror I see clearer now as I try to navigate through all the hating And find a way to stand out in the middle of all this oversaturation And I relate, like we cousins or something Never front like I was when I wasn't That's something I won't participate in I'm in the midst, like precipitation The manipulation of the youth is why I'm in the booth The proof is in the pudding, plus I put in more work Than a Jamaican nurse, even luck don't get this work Kanye say he a god, Rock Kim said it first I'm here to put it to the test, I wanna know what it's really worth I gotta make 
take something more, I gotta take something It's a shame I still feel that way But they still in my way Rappers bit my style, they was still in my way Out of the ghetto when I palm metal Hands on, you knew I would like your pedal Control Pinocchio, fuck it if my nose grow No strings attached, I got arms Your girl spread her legs in sync I'm on her torso like Meek Mill This bitch is bringing me bills Y'all niggas is broken dirty and they give me the chills I see the grills and the chains that they copping It's kinda hard to defend you I'm feeling like Johnny Cochran, I got no other option I play the race card, my German losers know for me Out here being a black man is twice as hard But I'm twice as hard, master Farrar I should have paid more attention to Farrakhan When Chuck D told me I'm LL Cool J on any given Sunday You can't hold me, don't want my name up in lights That is the old me Even with a butter knife, I'm Shinobi The 8-hole 24, and when I shoot it, I am Kobe To know me is to love me And for those who never heard of me, it's another discovery you can't replace me with this fuckery. You ain't touching me. It's just annoying when you plucking me. Who can fuck with me? You stuck with me. Everybody is ducking me. Luckily, I tuck the heat like a comforter. So keep that same temperature. Slug enter your center. Exit your placenta. I venture. I meant to denture. Got more rise than great adventure. I sent you. Two texts back. You hit me once. I hit you twice. That's how two texts act. It's just facts. I ain't hating, nigga. You can't rap. Just get your money. You can't do this because you ain't that. Lugas. Yeah, that's that shit, man. That um, that new Nine album is crazy because he's just one of those cats that um, you know, I was always a big fan of. He had that um, what you want track. I played it on here before. You know, my name up in lights and I and E. You know, he had that crazy fucking voice. Obviously, you know, cat gimmick is gonna get my attention, but the dude could rap. Yeah, I mean, it takes more than a gimmick to get me um. So the dude, um, he always had that fucking voice that leapt out of the fucking speakers. Like, every time you heard that fucking voice, you'd be like, oh, I know exactly who the fuck that is. And um, just really kind of lay dormant for a while. He came out with a couple joints, but never really, you know, hit the way and um, the way you'd expect him to, you know, jump out. But um, out of nowhere, it was just like, you know, I seen a uh, big fucking shout out to Apple Music, man, because... You just go down there, click on the For You thing, scroll down, and it'll be like, new albums. And be like, oh shit, what the fuck is this? So, um, I I did that, as I often do. For You thing, scroll down, new albums, I see Cannabis, new album. Now, every fucking time, I was such a huge fucking Cannabis fan. Man, like, I had to defend because there was the, the Cannabis versus LL Cool J shit, right? And I was team fucking Cannabis. He hit that 
that fucking second round knockout. And I was on some like, yo, fuck that. LL might be a legend, all that. No question about the fact that he's he's a legend, one of the best ever, especially being, you know, one of the first solo artists out, you know, um, doing what he was doing. But fucking Cannabis was an unknown dude that came out and just smacked the shit out of him. That second round knockout is still one of the best diss tracks of all time. Some people like the the, the Ripper Returns, um, the Ripper Strikes Back, I think it was called. Um, but I, I still think the cannabis shit came completely organic and out of the, fir- out of the gates is the first thing. Sometimes I think responses are a little easier because you're responding directly towards something that someone else said. Yeah, I mean, but the initial diss sometimes is that much more stabbing. And, um, what do you, you know, fucking Mike Tyson on the track, the whole shit. And I was just a huge cannabis fan. And, um... His one freestyle, I could still, I could recite that shit. I'm not gonna do it right a second, but I could recite that shit, fucking, uh, like I wrote it. You know what I mean? And uh, it, it, he, his verses were crazy. They were intelligent, but they were street, and they were still like something that you could fucking relate to or listen to and be like, yeah. Now this fucking guy is like Bill Nye, the fucking science guy. Yeah, I mean, like this, this dude's Mister Wizard and shit. Like it, it's fucking retarded. You get one line in and be like, "What the fuck is he talking about?" Soon as he starts rapping, you're like, "I don't know what the fuck he's talking about." <laughs> this isn't even like normal fucking language. This is like dope, dope science class records. Yeah, you know I mean, like the motherfuckers got science teachers fucking nodding their head and shit. Like, yo, he said some shit about fucking the molecular structure of fucking lead and shit like i don't know what the fuck i don't know what the fuck he's talking about so that shit pissed me off yeah i'm always hoping like one day i'm gonna fucking turn on a new cannabis record and i'm gonna be like oh fuck it's the old cannabis he's back he's fucking he's not playing games anymore and uh i don't know if that's ever gonna happen but that's what i hope for every time i hit the thing so I was just pissed off. I skipped through the whole fucking thing, deleted it back off my phone fucking 20 minutes after I put it on. Because I listened to, like, the first verse of every song and just be like, I, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Um, And then uh, then I see Nine. Nine? Oh, shit. And that that's a street album. Yeah, I mean, you hit that. It's um produced by the Snow Goons, which I don't know too too much about, but the fucking beats are crazy. Just hard knock fucking street shit. And uh, he sounds like he's back with a vengeance. And um, again, you know, he ain't going to be on your fucking radio anytime soon or anything like that. But as long as he keeps putting out that type of fucking music, he's got my attention because it's it's some real shit. You know what I mean? That that dirty fucking street shit. That's what I like. Um, it's, It's that same fucking 90s rough shit. So there's that. Um... Let me see. What what the fuck else? Um, he even put fucking Smooth the Hustler and Cool G Rap on a fucking on a track called Breathe. I was up in the air about which one I should play. Should I play Breathe? Should I play that one? That one was that's a harder track that I just played. But Breathe is tight too. But there's a bunch. There's another track he goes through like all the dead rappers and shit, saying like he's them, and uh, you know he's hip hop, and all of those cats represented hip hop, and that's what he's about and shit. You know. Um, 
But yeah, um, so let me see. Uh, Bill Cosby got locked up. Uh, he was sentenced uh, three to ten years or some shit like that. They'll see three maybe, but most likely they're gonna find him dead in a cell. Um, now here's the thing. Um, I, I'm really tired of this race baiting shit. Um, I understand that there's um, there's a lack of consistency between you know people and sentences and this and this and um you can point towards well you know uh this guy's white and he got off and this guy's black and he's doing life and and, and shit like that and of course you could you could find inconsistencies in the judicial system i mean realistically you could definitely find inconsistencies regardless of color um, I'm not going to say that, you know, it's it's even across the board as far as the um, injustices. But what I will say is when when the route is taken that. Why, you know, he just got he just got fucking put in, in prison or whatever. Why is this fucking guy free and this and that? And it starts to lean in a direction like they don't want him locked up. And my my thing is like, all right. Let's just say there's there's a black dude who is a rapist, and there's a white dude who's a rapist. If they only lock the white dude up and let the black guy free, I'm not gonna be pissed off that the white guy's locked up because he's a rapist. And 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 I feel like it should go the same way. You shouldn't be upset that the 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 black guy is locked up because the white guy is free. Should be pissed off that the white guy's free because he's a rapist, not because he's white and the other guy's black. Like let's let's get down to the actual morals about this shit. If this dude is legitimately a fucking rapist, then yeah, I don't give a fuck if he's eighty, ninety, whatever the fuck, and he's gotta fucking spend time because he's a rapist, man. Like he skated through his fucking career getting away with fucking rape. That that's fucking crazy. So it shouldn't be about like, yo, he's black, so he should go free because the other guy's free. Like, why do you want a rapist on on the fucking free? You know what I mean? Like. It could have been, you know, a woman in your life, you know, whether it be a mother, a grandmother, a daughter, a anything. I mean, it it's just wild. Like, there becomes this, this line of separation of race and, and anger as far as uh, what's done on this side and what's done on that side that starts to completely blur actual morals to say that, like, yo, I don't give a fuck what color this dude is. He needs to get the fuck out of here. And, I, and sure, the guy on the other side that's another color, I think that guy needs to get the fuck out of here, too. Let's work on get, getting this other guy the fuck out of here, but let's not be upset for one minute that this guy's the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? It's just, that's just reality. I mean, just humanity should really have a lot to do with what's right and wrong. And yeah, okay, if you do things on one side that you don't do on the other side, of course that's wrong. But we can't ignore the fucking wrongs that are being done by each party. We can't discount this for that. Like, OJ killed his motherfucking wife. I mean, he sawed her fucking head off. And and the other dude. And he's fucking skated on that. And then then did some old other dumb shit years later. I mean, you could say, oh, well, this other white guy got locked up for it. No, what, what the fuck? I mean, like, if if a white dude killed his his wife and boyfriend, the wife's boyfriend, he needs to be locked up too. I'm not gonna be like, well, OJ got off. Like, what the fuck? Why am I representing this fucking guy if he kills somebody? 
it's just it's just crazy a crazy mentality. I can't I can't ride with that. So um so fuck that guy anyway. Uh Cosby, you know, he he was uh Man, that's a motherfucker right there, no? <laughs> I mean that dude that dude portrayed like wholesome fucking family values. That dude like jumped out on the fucking ledge to be like, you shouldn't talk this way because it's a bad representation of our race, and, like, you you should pull your pants up, and you should not curse, and you should not say this and this, and this too is raping motherfuckers. Like, yo, that's some wild shit. Man. Um, so, yeah. Um, Jimmy G. Uh, man, fuck. Um, so, yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo's out. He's gone for the fucking season. Torn ACL, all that shit. Um, just fucking devastating. Absolutely devastating. Um, I tell you, it's 100% his fault. I mean, anything that happened at any given time, it was his fault. Not that he deserves to have his fucking season ended, but that's that's the result of what he did. This guy, and make no mistake about it, my fucking Niners competed with the fucking Vikings who up until this past week when they took that beating, they were ranked like third best team in the NFL. We battled with those fucking Vikings on week one, and they, they pulled out the win. Um, week two, we beat the Lions, and, and uh, let's not get it fucked up again because people wanted to shit on the Lions because the fucking Jets had a great game and made the Lions look like shit, but the Jets had a great game and made the Lions look like shit. This same Lions team just beat the fucking Patriots. So, again, you can keep chalking up the other team in order to make it, you know, benefit your agenda. But, like, maybe the Lions aren't fucking horrendous. Like, they lost a game to the fucking to the, to the Jets. They lost to us, but they beat the Pats. I mean, and they competed. they competed with the Jets. I mean, they took that loss. They made the Jets look really good. But they competed. They competed with us. You know? And, and then, yeah, they beat the shit out of the Pats. And you just say, oh, the Pats had a terrible game this snap. But fuck, man. Uh, I don't know. So anyway, and then this past game, probably the most high-powered offense in the entire NFL, ran up the fucking score on us, and we battled all the way back. We We were fucking, we were right in the fucking grasp of coming back. Drove down, we were on, on the, the tail end of our drive, right there, fucking approaching the goal line. Jimmy G scrambles out, tries to get some yardage, and instead of running out of bounds, he tried to fucking cut up field a little bit and take the hit to, to benefit another yard or a couple yards. Well, that cut that he took to, to head up field tore his motherfucking ACL. So had he just gone the fuck out of bounds... I mean, shit, he could have took another cut to avoid a sack and, and tore the shit the same fucking way. Just so happened he did that shit doing something stupid, and he's out. I mean, I, I there's not a more devastating injury that could happen to the San Francisco 49ers right now. That's that's our future. We just paid him an, an enormous amount of money, and I honestly still think 100% the dude deserves it. Now, C.J. Beathard came in the, the very next play and threw a fucking touchdown threw an amazing pass on fourth down 
bam, touchdown. One pass thrown, touchdown. They fucking completely robbed us. You go back and watch that. They called it offensive pass interference. It was absolute shit. Absolute shit. The announcers were like, what? What? Oh, that's not right. <laughs> They're like, oh, you, you got to let that go. Like, what? What are you talking about? Holy shit. Like, the announcers were, like, losing their shit over, like, yo, I, how could they just take that shit away from that dude? Um, so, I think it was completely wrong. But look, CJ, he's not a fantastic quarterback, but he's a guy who knows our system. Jimmy G is going to play, like, another offensive coordinator over there. Make no mistake, Jimmy's our guy. Jimmy's 100% our guy. Next season, he comes back. And we go forward from there. Obviously, it delays our process a little bit. But I think we could still compete. We still have a team that stayed in the game. And that's that's more than a quarterback. Obviously, he was leading us up and down the field. But our offensive system is much, much improved. Um, Shanahan was running an insane offensive system in Atlanta. And as soon as he, he left there, that Atlanta fucking offense fell off. Um, so I, I have faith in the team being competitive this year. Do I think we're going to run, you know, steal the fucking Super Bowl away from anybody? No, I don't. Um, I honestly thought with Jimmy, that was a possibility because I think playing at our absolute best, we were, we showed, we already showed we're a challenge for any team out there. Now you get to the fucking playoffs yeah, the Rams are the fucking world beaters in our division. So if we got to the wild card based off of what we were doing with Jimmy, we get to the wild card, we get in the playoffs, and it's a couple wins and you're in the bowl. And I feel like that that was still to um, to be determined. Honestly, we play the Rams twice. You know, it's, that's our division. So we would see, and obviously it's going to be a different look now without Jimmy, but we would see how we matched up against the Rams two times this year. So it's not really beyond the realms of possibility that, you know, we, we catch them fucking slipping once in the playoffs. If maybe we split a series with them during the season, you never know. The, the possibilities are completely endless. If you're a competitive team, you can compete, you can show up, you can win a couple games, this and that. Just remember the Eagles last year, the motherfuckers were not in the playoffs anymore. If Julio caught that fucking ball in the end zone, they, they didn't, they didn't go on at all. Didn't happen. So what can you do? Um, so that, that's that, uh, obviously devastating, whatever, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, Ian Rotten, um, put up something the other day. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, I sent it to some fucking buddy. Somebody sent it to me. I either got to find a person that sent it to me or there. Um, it says, unfortunately for us as a company, the past four days have been utter disaster with four shows and a collective attendance of under 200 people. Let me repeat that. Four shows and a collective attendance of under 200 people. That's fucking insane. That's, that's fucking insane. So he follows up by saying, uh, if we are going to keep IWA going, we need to make some changes to the New Jersey card and also what we give crowds in the Memphis, in Memphis talent wise, and try to desperately raise some money. 
this is how bad it, it was, folks. We had 25 posters printed for TPI and sold them at $20 a piece. We still have 15 posters. Anybody that wants one, they're 20 bucks plus $6 shipping and handling. We could sure use your help and support. Um, look, man, IWA has been fucked up for a while. And this is this is the thing, like, for the longest time, I felt bad for them. And I, I kept saying, like, man, they need a venue change. They need this. They need that. Um, and Ian, to me, is, is one of the absolute best bookers of all time in the independence. Um, on the independence, um, innovator in, in so many avenues, but I stopped, I, I gotta be a hundred percent. Um, I, I stopped feeling bad when he completely cut ties with me off of, um, you know, a difference in opinion. I'm not exactly celebrating his failures, but I'm not fucking upset about it anymore, you know, because it's like, uh, if, you're looking at a handful of people who really get down with you and and really support you and, and defend you and put you over and, and all of that shit. And honestly, it's deserving. It's it's not like, oh, I did you a favor. But like, yo, I, I was on the fucking team. So if all of a sudden somebody on a team's got some criticism or doesn't think that this is going right, and your response is, I've been running shows for 22 years. How dare you? Well, how dare you, motherfucker? You ran four shows, four shows, and combined for 200 fucking people. So maybe get off that 22-year shit and listen to criticism. I'm not saying I could fix your fucking attendance, but I'm someone who's going to be 100% honest with what I like and what I don't like. And if you can't take that as honest criticism, that maybe, maybe you can help build off of something that I say. Maybe you can't. Maybe you just fucking, hey, I, I don't agree with what he's saying. Moving on. But people over shit like that, may, maybe that, maybe those fucking, uh, those, you know, the cutting ties and and just moving on from people and shit like this. I mean, maybe that has something to do with the loyalty of your actual crowd. Because it doesn't seem to exist. It's, like I said, it is a shame. But now, if his statement there on that post was like, yeah, we got to, you know, alter the jersey card and shit like that. Like, so you're already advertising, like, we're knocking this jersey card down a bit. Like, so whatever they were going to put on, like, they're going to scramble and maybe spend less on that shit. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the, the talent over here will now be local with them traveling. So maybe, you know, it does benefit them and they're able to still put on some pretty, you know, good shit. But it's just, it's fucking crazy. It's, uh, you know, and honestly, like, I know a lot of those guys are known to people who really follow, follow the indies. Like, Jeremy follows the indies, so he knows, you know, a lot of those guys on that card. But, you know, Ian was posting, oh, this is going to rival the 2014 you know, or, or the 2004, I should say, um, yeah, I, TPI, and this is going to, and like, just that, that's that's what I mean, you know. Um, wrestling is just it's, it's a carny business. You have to sell people gold, even if it's shit. And I'm not saying what was being put forth was shit. But you don't have to go to the extent of saying this is going to be better than the all star lineup we had back then. And me as a as a, well, I don't even know if I'd call myself a casual fan because I I've gotten pretty accustomed to saying I'm just not a fan of wrestling anymore. Um, because it, it's 
way more accurate than saying, yeah, I, I'm a wrestling fan or I watch a little and this and that. Because any one of those guys could be the next fucking big star. But I, I don't watch their stuff enough to really judge them that way. Um, I, I, I can tell you, you know, some people that I've seen over here on some of these, you know, the Dojo Wars, fucking All-Stars and stuff like that. And, and a lot of them are, are complete trash right now. So that that much I can tell you. But as far as guys that are in like the Midwest, I haven't really like seeked out what they're doing. As far as that, I hear Jeremy putting a lot of these guys over I never heard of before. So I could say that they're definitely getting over with some wrestling fans and shit. Not 35 people and MLJ on a fucking Dojo War show and, and DJ. But, you know, actual wrestling fans out there. So, I mean, he, he might be putting on completely groundbreaking shit, but again, I just think the venues that he's running in, the, the the areas that he's running in, it's like scorched earth. I don't think they're coming back from either the reputation that he's built out there or maybe the loyalty, the competition that fans have out there. I, I'm not really sure exactly what it is, but that area overall, to me, is just fucking trash. I, I mean... 200 fans combined under 200 fans combined over four shows that's just that's that that's not 22 years worth of experience there that's like shindy shows get more than that if you're going to combine four shindy shows most of them will pull in over 200 if you're going to combine four fucking shows uh, that's it's fucking bananas um so there's that now, um, let me see. Where is this jerk off's post? Because I want to get into this. Um, oh, okay. Here's, um, MLJ. Um, here's the thing like, this dude, um, he he makes these little passive aggressive comments and the thing is is you're you're listening to my show i'm not really watching what the fuck you do and again like let me just read you what he said and then i'll respond to it so he starts this off with uh no capital letters because this is you know this is czw quality shit so when you type on the internet, you can misspell things. You just don't need to start sentences with a capital letter. But then you should expect everyone to take you seriously like you're above somebody. So it starts off, no capital letter. Imagine prefacing your critique of a product by saying you don't watch the product or care to ever support it again. And then ranting on the subject, or rant, uh, ranting about the product you don't watch for elongated... Uh, you don't watch or care about for elongated periods of time. And then he, you know, he leaves a bunch of space and it says on blog talk radio and then leaves a bunch of space in 2018. Like, all right. So the thing is, is like, all right, let's get on that then. If we're going to imagine, let, let, let me get on my John Lennon shit. Yeah. I mean, let, let me get on that John Lennon for you. Imagine showing up to work drunk. Imagine working for a company that misspelled the names of both their finalists on a TOD shirt and sold it to the fucking fans. Yeah, I mean, imagine working on a fucking company like that. That you're putting on a fucking tournament that the finalists, the two finalists, Matt Tremont 
and Ricky spelled wrong, Shane Page, are on the back of a fucking shirt that you're offering for fucking $20 up to fucking fans. That's what the fuck, that, that's what the type of shit that's going on. But you were wasted at that show, so you, you probably didn't even know that happened, let alone, uh, imagine working for a company that allowed another company to walk in the door and shit on the company at their biggest show of the year. Oh, you know, ML, the, the fucking company you worked for, GCW. GCW was trying to bury CZW, and you were over there on GCW working for them too. But, yeah, I mean, imagine that shit. Imagine working for a company that continues to misspell shit. On their graphics, on their promo shit, on everything. Just imagine that shit. Imagine working for a company that ignores a legend waiting to return for the company for three years and puts him in the Hall of Fame as soon as he dies. Imagine. Imagine working for that. Imagine not starting your sentences with a capital letter and then uh, trying to make someone else look stupid on your fucking post. Imagine working for a company that bombed at podcasting and then critiquing one that ran for fucking eight years. Dude has been doing it for eight fucking years. You're, the company you're representing over there put out an absolute dog shit fucking podcast that no one wanted to fucking listen to. And and you have something to say about what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah, it's like it's blog talk radio, but like who gives a fuck what what the um the platform is? First off, you don't have a problem with listening to it. So, I mean, there's that there's that that it's going through your motherfucking headphones at whatever the fuck you're doing. And then imagine booking a student show that draws 35 people and developing a fucking ego, a sense of entitlement, a sense of accomplishment based off of running a fucking student show. Imagine that shit. And just overall, Emil, imagine you being on my motherfucking level in any fucking facet because I judge a motherfucker by their their passion. I, this is wrestling. Wrestling is not my fucking passion. I ain't got no fucking passion in professional wrestling. This, this right here, this little talking about wrestling. See, this is a hobby. This is not even my favorite fucking hobby, but professional wrestling is your passion. My passion is what I do. What I do is I work with cats. I find cats homes. I take cats that, the world is completely fucking turned against. People completely doubt them, call them feral, consider them completely unadoptable. And if it wasn't for my work, my passion, those animals would lose their life. And I take pride in my passion. And what I do is I work six days a week for the past 17 years, putting my pride and passion into saving animals' lives and making connections with cats that completely alters the path of their life. So that's my passion. So you you can judge whatever the fuck you want to hear on this podcast, and I really don't give a fuck about that. But when you look at what I'm actually passionate about, that's the results of my passion. The results of your passion is 35 in attendance, 
and 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 a bunch of shit to say on the internet about people who might not agree with your views on professional wrestling. That's that's the result of your passion. And a handful of motherfuckers that goes MLJ knows a little something about wrestling. That, that that's your, the result of your fucking passion is that. Uh, we'll we'll talk about another result of your passion with DJ beating the shit out of that fucking kid at the um at the Dojo Wars. But the thing about it is, is like, look, I expect you to defend your product. I, I expect you to defend what you do. Um, to not understand this, and I've explained this so many fucking times on this show, that you're just stupid. If you don't understand these words, and this is the last time I'm going to explain it. You you have to be fucking stupid if you don't understand this this premise here. I don't need to watch a product that I invested over a decade in. I know all the players. I know all the shit that goes on. I know the best of it. I know the the echelon that CZW reached. I know the the top of the mountain, the part where it was at its absolute best. The, the type of things that made DJ want to buy the company I was there live for. The rabid fan base. The outlaw image that they had. You know, the thing that GC, GCW is currently making tons of money off of. That's, that's what I was there for. I can reminisce on what it was and what I loved about it. And... I'll always have a soft spot for CZW because of how much I did love it and how much invested time I had it in. And as I explained a few weeks ago, that was when I was, when I was giving a tribute to um, Nate Hatred, which I'm sure was way more heartfelt than the one DJ stood in the fucking ring prior to the show, like a dark match fucking uh, Hall of Fame induction. When he, when he ignored the guy for three fucking years, wanted to get in the company, but... I already mentioned that. Um, but when I had talked about Nate, I had outlined that CZW was my fucking, that was, that was my thing. You know, some people, ECW was their, was their absolute favorite moment of wrestling. It was their favorite time period of wrestling. It was the thing that they held most near and dear to themselves as far as, you know, what, what meant the most to you? What, what do you go back to when you reminisce on, on what wrestling was to you and what was the, your favorite moment? And my favorite moment isn't ECW. It isn't the Attitude Era. It isn't any of those different things. It was CZW in the 2000s. And to think that because I know it, it, the easiest path for anyone who doesn't want to hear me is like, well, why does he keep talking? He's not watching it. Yeah, I know. Me shutting up would be dream come true for you guys. Unfortunately, that's not going to fucking happen. Um, I have a platform. You know, I have this little platform, this little blog talk radio in 2018. But I'm always going to have something to say. CCW just happens to be a topic that I'm always going to have. As long as CCW exists, I'm going to have to say like, hey... This fucking, uh, this, this match that they're having for the wired title. I, I mean, 
that shit does not look like a CZW match. That's certainly not a CZW title match. Blackwater versus fucking uh, the Jordan Oliver. That shit looks crazy. Shit looks fucking crazy. No one is looking forward to that. That's not related to one of the motherfuckers. No one that either uh, one of the 35 in attendance at Dojo Wars, someone that trained or is related to those motherfuckers, and and themselves. Th- those are the only people looking forward to that shit. Um, but again, look around at the attendance. You can get mad at what the fuck I gotta say. Look around at your attendance, and then then turn back at me and go, oh why why is he still talking about it? Because he doesn't wanna he doesn't wanna attend. He doesn't wanna support the company anymore. Why would he spend time talking about it? Because because I, I I'm burning a couple hours here and there on podcasting. So that's why. I, I mean, it, this, this doesn't take any real effort for me. I have just opinions on things, and I talk on things. Why would I talk about Bill Cosby for 15 minutes? I don't give a fuck. Why, why wouldn't I? But what difference does it fucking make? None at all. I mean, none of these fucking podcasts really make uh, an actual difference, other than the fact that you listen to it and get butt hurt and come online. You're not addressing any one of the things that I've said as false. Or, or a counterpoint to what I'm saying. You're just upset that I'm saying anything at all. Which is fine. Just fine. I, I really don't give a fuck if you're upset by anything in life. Overall. You should be upset that your nose doesn't work good enough to not breathe through your mouth while you're doing ring announcing. That's You should, you should be worried about that. You should be upset that you can't beat alcoholism. You should be upset about that. You know what I mean? But... It is what it is. I mean, that that's your struggle. So, um, I, I just get annoyed as, uh, like, bum-ass motherfuckers who think that they could talk to a grown-ass man like me and, and just, oh, well, why is he doing this in 2018? It's just another, like, in 2018. Like, motherfuckers have just, like, put down the, 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 um, the guidelines for how men should live life in 2018 this is another dude that you know would be out there in a fucking ring with a little fucking man bun on top of his head and he's gonna tell me how to fuck people should operate in 2018 you can go fuck yourself in 2018 2017 2016 like you can pre-fuck yourself i mean like years years before i'm saying this you can go fuck yourself in the future you can go fuck yourself it's all good either way so um Let's let's talk about another uh, result of your passion. DJ Hyde beats the shit out of this kid, and um, this kid's fucking chest is just torn the fuck up. Dojo Wars show, no fucking pay, no nothing. This kid's first fucking match, and it, this kid's chest is just ripped the fuck up. And somebody post. Let me see. Um. I gotta pull up the actual. Here it is. Frankie Kurtz, who I believe is a photographer. And it says, Wanna know what you missed from CGW's Dojo Wars Super Show? Key Men vs. DJ Hyde. Stop sleeping on Dojo Wars. This kid killed it last night. And it's, this motherfucker is just beat to shit. His fucking chest is torn up. He's got handprints all over his fucking chest. So I post, I posted that and posed the question. What does this kid gain from this shit going on? 
Like, DJ bullies this fucking kid and smacks the shit out of his chest until the shit is ripped up. What exactly does he fucking gain? Um, it, you know, it, it's, it's crazy. So, you know, a bunch of people are pissed off. Got a bunch of people that liked it. Mad symbols saying it's, it's garbage from wrestlers to fans to everything else. And then, um, you know, Kit shows up. And Kit says, uh, let me see, uh, DJ's, this is something along the lines of DJ's the safest worker I've ever worked for, or some shit. Aside from the chops, DJ's one of the safest guys I've wrestled for and taken any moves from. His chops are safe, just brutal. So then, um, uh, Jeff Cannonball chimes in, and this is great. And he says, I love you, Kit. But there's an, that's an insane statement. I'm pretty sure you were at the show. He blew Georgie's eardrum out. Or the one where he knocked Ace Austin out to the point where he forgot he had a match seconds later after walking through the curtain. Or the time he broke Tara's neck with a kick to the back. All but one of these being a Dojo war show. And one that wasn't about a royal. Never mind the shoot interview, which I forgot all about this. And I, I should have fucking went back to the shoot interview and pulled the clip, but maybe in the future. See, that's half the problem with the fucking podcast thing is I don't want to invest that much time in it. Like, I keep saying, like, oh, I'll pull this, I'll do this and this. And then, like, I just go about fucking life, and then the, the, the day comes up where I'm going to do the podcast, and I'm like, fuck, man. I wanted to pull this and that. Like, should I just not do the podcast because I wanted to pull this clip and that clip? And I'm just like, fuck, I'll just not do the fucking clips. That that's what happens most of the time. I need like a fucking producer. He's like, yo, pull this and pull that, and like fucking next thing you know, I'd have a uh, all sorts of fucking entertainment for you guys because I have a lot of ideas. But so anyway, never mind his shooter interview where the interviewer had to tell him it's not a good thing when he brags about how many people he knocked unconscious with a clothesline, because because that was another thing that he was doing. Like, oh, I've knocked so many people unconscious with these clotheslines. They don't like. Like, dude, you're not supposed to do that. Like, you're supposed to keep people safe. You're supposed to make your shit look devastating while keeping people safe. Like, really legitimately knocking people unconscious and then be like, yeah, I'm a strong motherfucker. <laughs> like, you're retarded. You're fucking stupid. thing is, is like, you're beating this kid up to, I guess, show some sort of toughness on his behalf. As well as trying to make yourself look like some kind of conqueror. But what does it really accomplish? It doesn't accomplish anything. No, nobody's, like, fucking freaking out for this kid because he took a beating from DJ Hyde. And, and it's crazy to think of DJ Hyde as anything else but green as fuck. He's awkward in the ring. He's not good in the ring. So to decide that you're going to learn from this guy who can't do it himself, it, it, it's It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Like, this dude is like, it's like having a blind guy teach you how to drive. Like, he's just crashing into shit all the time, and you're like, yeah, now teach me how to do that shit. It's just, no one wants to see DJ Hyde wrestle. I, I, I could never in a million years wrap my mind around, if you have the opportunity to go fucking train with Homicide at the compound, or train with DJ Hyde at the fucking dojo, why you would choose DJ Hyde. Unless it's like a third of the price and you don't care about your own fucking health or career or a- aspirations to actually be something. 
I, I can't imagine what the fuck would lead you to the dojo. You know, to each their own or whatever. But it's just it's just fucking wild to me. The the whole situation over there at CZW is just such a fucking clown show. And like I said, you have these people just gonna listen to the podcast and get butthurt over it. But like, why don't you fix the fucking product? Because like I can't stop putting fucking GCW over, despite the fact that I don't like their fucking management. So there wouldn't be anything that kept me from putting CZW over if CZW was doing something right. Because I have fucking, I have a long fucking time invested in CZW. So I'd love to hear that they are fucking doing good, but they're not. It's not. <laughs> that's not something I can make up. I can't. I can't spin it into a way where CZW is doing well, because that's, that's far, far from reality. That's, that's not even fucking close. So I don't know what to tell you. Um, I think that's about all I got this week. Listen to fucking, I got your five stars with Jeremy over there. Listen to uh, the hot tag podcast with Shaheen and, and Boxman doing a fucking thing. I don't know. What is this? Like fucking three weeks in a row, four weeks in a row. Like this is like, unprecedented um i don't know i have no plans on doing a show next week not that i'm trying not to do a show but i as of right now i have zero topics um i maybe ccw's next week but i'm not gonna watch it so again like uh I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm sure I'll read results and I'll have something to talk about as far as that goes. But again, um, there's only so much I can go off with that. But maybe they'll do something way over the top and stupid and I could talk about that. Uh, we'll, we'll find out because it's going to take a little bit more than that for me to throw the show together. But um, who knows? Maybe I'll think of somebody I want to talk to, have them on the show. I don't know. Um, topics, hit me up with whatever kind of shit you want to um, throw some content going for the show. Um oh, um Joey Janela on the uh the last uh GCW show completely fucking mangled his knee. Um he did some old dive to the outside thing. Um it wasn't the craziest thing he's done, but it, it to me it wasn't a really safe spot, obviously. Um you know, a one man spot. I mean, you got some of these some of these things where guys are doing that and they do it in multi-man matches and there's fucking eight guys catching them, you know, just like a dive to the outside like that. But, you know, he's done a, a bunch of times before. So you would think it's something that would be on the safer side, but you never know with that type of shit. And it just, it went way wrong. His fucking knee went like sideways. You could tell it was fucked up. And, um, yeah, they, I guess the results came back today and, uh, saw the list he he fucked his shit up um let me see it was uh a complete or near tear of pcl complete tear of the mcl uh impaction fracture of the medial femoral condo i don't know what the fuck half these words are it's like a cannabis verse uh <laughs> mild bone contusion um sprain of the fibular ligament collateral ligament, uh, partial tear of this ligament, ACL sprain. I mean, just, just really fucked up. So this dude's got probably going to be out of action for at least a year. Um, you know, I mean, no, no secret to anybody. I don't, um, get along with Joey or anything, but yeah, I, I wish him a speedy recovery. You know, you know, 
I was a fan of Joey for a long time, and I, I don't want to see the get, dude get hurt. Um, you know, I I definitely hope he focuses on his his physical ability, his physical um. I don't know, the the physical aspect, as far as his physique and, like, that type of thing. Like, just fucking, just lock in in the fucking gym. Train the fuck out of your upper body while that, that leg's healing. Yeah, I mean, do shit like that. Focus on your diet. Lock in. Because I know that there was a big, um, you know, talk of, like, when he got hurt coming off the roof, that's when he started slipping. And he said, you know, he was out of, how to work. He was out of, you know, wrestling for a little bit of time and, you know, he started eating like shit and smoking, you know, just, I, I don't, I think he smoked before that anyway, but, um, drinking and whatever the fuck else, but like, you could take things two ways, you know, you could really like focus in on yourself when you had the, you know, the hectic schedule before traveling all over the place. And Joey was doing big things. Joey was really, in my opinion, on the cusp of like an NXT run. I think he was definitely like, any minute was just going to be an NXT thing. He was doing big shit in PWG. He's doing big shit in Evolve. And I think once you start hitting those those avenues right there, that's when the eyeballs get on you. And next thing you know, you're in fucking NXT. Um, so I, I still think that type of shit is in Joey's future, but he's got to heal up from this fucking, this knee shit and come back, you know, 100%. Because uh, that shit, you know, shit, man. It's He's got like some Jimmy G shit, you know. My quarterback's got to fucking rest an entire fucking season, and this shit could even linger into next season, you know, because it, it's a major, major injury, and the shit Joey just dealt with is a major injury. He talked for a long time about he never got hurt other than that little bit of thing from the roof, you know, with the tendon and the in his hand or wrist, and um, this this is a major hurdle that he has to to get over. Um, but the dude, you know, he's got a lot of passion in wrestling. Like I said, uh. A little bit on a, the the personal side of things, he just doesn't he doesn't focus. He thinks that train wreck shit is cute, and you know time runs out on that. I mean, it just in any 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 walk of life, time runs out on that shit being cute. So it is what it is. He can do whatever he wants with his life, but like I said, I wish him a speedy recovery. Cause I mean, Joey's got a lot of talent. He knows definitely knows how to get over with fans, even if it's a new fan base that I don't identify with at all. Joey knows how to hit that fucking avenue and, and move fucking merch and sell tickets. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's got a good lock on, on what works in 2018. And, um, so yeah, so I wish him a speedy recovery and, uh, somebody let him know, you know, if, uh, if you hear this and you talk to him and shit, so, uh, wish him the best. And, uh, yeah, that sucks. That sucks for anybody. And, uh, you know, especially a guy who's on the rise like he was. And, uh, you know, stock's picking up for him. So, uh, hopefully he'll be right back where he left off, you know, in about a year. But, so, all right, uh, that's, that's about it. I'll talk to you motherfuckers later. Peace. Talk to y'all later. Have a nice night. Stay dry. It's raining again. Tired as rain. Makes my grass green. Don't complain about that. That's all I gotta say. I'm out of here. I love all of y'all and uh shit.
You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You've been in the gym, bro. You know why? DJ Hyde, fuck you. You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. I listen to your, to your podcast and I'll find everything out. You know what I mean? You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. So, what I make you? Good. Black cheese tell me, tells me all the time to listen to what you got to say because you be blazing people. And I'm like, well, I got to hear it now. <laughs> you just know how to hide it. Me, I don't have that problem. Me, I always tell a truth, even when I lie. The Judah Jet Radio. Judah. A sacred night to the bad guy. I'm going to tell you something straight off the motherfucking press. I ain't coming for no food. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary BDW void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus